Psalm 119, 89 through 96 says, Forever, O Yahweh, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures throughout all generations. You have established the earth and it stands. By your ordinances they stand today, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, then I would have perished in my misery. I would not ever forget your precepts, for by them you revive me. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. For me, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me. I give attention to your testimonies. I have seen a limit to every perfection. Your command is very broad. The Lord's word again, we're going through this psalm that that talks so much about the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And through one of the verses in here, he said that basically God's word revives us. And if we think about that, something I'm I'm going to talk about it today. I talked about it last week, but the, the word of God is alive. If we just get it into us somehow, it revives us some way. If we'll obey it, if we'll listen to it, God has a way of imparting his grace to us through his word. And that's what David reminds us of in this psalm. So we're going to sing some songs. First, we're going to pray the Lord's prayer together. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
from Luke this morning. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Merry Christmas. This is only one of the things that we need to remember about Christ our Savior. Many years ago, 2,000 plus, he was born in that manger and we are reminded of his birth the miracles he rep- he presented to his people and the sacrifice of his life that cleanses us with his blood and our repentance of our sins we are reminded also that he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven to reconcile us those who follow in his path we are also reminded that he will return for us And with this cup that represents his shed blood and the bread that represents the broken body, we remember all that he did 
and will do for us. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that was made for us. I pray that you bless this cup that shed his blood and the bread that is broken body. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is the time in the service for announcements. We're always collecting Matthew 25 ministry pill bottle donations, um, empty plastic pill bottles, the lids, the bottles, prescription or over the counter can be placed in the plastic uh, containers on, in the foyer. Also used ink cartridges to help reduce costs for office supplies here at the church. 
Food Pantry Closed Closet is um, here at the church every Thursday from 5 to 7. If you're interested in taking a look, um, you can take a little tour downstairs, and you'll see lots of rooms where we're filling them up with clothes and food, um, lots of opportunities for people to come and get their needs met. Women's Bible Study Empty Nesters every Thursday at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. Refit is a free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30 to 7.30. Um, you can contact Kristen Nay if you have any questions. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry, the fourth Sunday of the month at 2 p.m., starting today. So if you've signed up, um, we are looking forward to doing the first service today together. Uh, we will have lunch following service today and uh, kind of talk about what we're going to be doing, and then we'll head over directly after that. Tithes and offerings can be given in person in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. Also now uh, giving online, and the website was there. Um. <laughs> Heartland Financials, I'm so not sure why this budget is not updated on there because it is on my screen, but it is also printed out in the foyer if you have any questions. The weekly budget is 2980. Um, ties and offerings are given to Cincinnati Challenge Ranch, formerly known as Teen Challenge, Sun Reflection Refuge, which is a women's faith-based um, homeless shelter and Christian help center. If we can have the elders come up. And we are going to embarrass our only Heartland graduate. I mean, congratulate our only Heartland graduate. <laughs> That's you, Deja. So Dan's going to say a few words. So uh, everybody knows Deja here. I've seen her over the years grow up in the church. Um, I've seen the chapter of her life when she was teaching kids downstairs. Now she's in a chapter of her life where she's leading people in worship. And she's going to a next chapter of her life. Um, so I just want to, for the congregation, we'll pray for her, pray for good things to happen for her. I know sometimes it can be a tough thing to go into this next chapter of life. So just a raise, uh, just show of hands, who wants good things to happen to Deja Trent on her next chapter of life? See, look at all those people out there. You've got the body of Christ there to back you up if you need anything. So that's what we're going to pray right now. Father in heaven, we just pray blessings for Deja as she goes in this next chapter of life. Um, we know that she is a daughter of the Trents, but even more importantly, she's a daughter of you. We just pray your blessings on her, that you would show her, you would answer all the questions she would have, that she would hear your voice as she goes through the, the unknown in this next chapter of her life. And you would bless her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two down, three to go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be in uh, John's Gospel. So let's turn our Bibles together to John's Gospel. Uh, chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. John 1, 35 through 51. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of today's teaching is Invite People to Come and See Jesus. Invite People to Come and See Jesus. In John 1, 35 through 51, the scriptures say, 
On the next day, again, John was standing there and two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he was walking by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus, turning around and seeing them following him, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. This one first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and looking at him, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is interpreted Peter. On the next day, he wanted to depart from Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets wrote about, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, look, a true Israelite in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, from where do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to all of you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You may be seated. How many of us have ever found something that we were so excited about that we could not wait to rush out and tell others about it? This thing was so life-changing that we could not contain ourselves. Our excitement was just so much that we had to tell someone about what we'd found. Any of us ever experienced anything like that? Well, that's what we see in today's passage. We see people who were so excited about finding and following Jesus that they could not contain themselves. They could not wait to tell others, invite others, and bring others to follow Jesus. And we'll see today in every case the result of someone telling others and inviting others and bringing others to Jesus was that those who came to see Jesus decided to follow him. And in this passage, I believe that God gives us a simple pattern for how to gain followers of Jesus. It's a pattern that every one of us can and should follow. Every one of us can and should invite people to come and see Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we look at how others invited people to come and to see your son, help us to learn from their example and help us to live out the scriptures that we read today through your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first person we see inviting people to come and see Jesus is John the baptizer. John 1, 35 through 36 says, On the next day, again, John was standing there and two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he was walking by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now, there are two Johns that I'm going to mention several times today. The first John is John the Apostle, and he's the one who wrote this gospel. The second John is John the baptizer. 
Not John the Baptist, because John was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. He's the, 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 John that these, uh, the, the other John is talking about in these verses. So John was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. John the baptizer, sent to, to prepare the way for the Lord. So he had preached the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He gained many disciples who had been baptized by him and who were following him. And they were rearranging their lives to get ready for the coming king and his kingdom. And John now tells his disciples, it's time for you to stop following me and to start following the one John was preparing them to meet. John says to his disciples, look, there he is. This is the one that I've been telling you about, the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And notice in John 137, what happens as a result of John the baptizer pointing his disciples to Jesus. John writes, and the two disciples heard him speaking and they followed Jesus. So because John pointed people to Jesus, they came to Jesus and they decided to follow Jesus. But look at what Jesus says to them in John 1, 38. And, and Jesus turning around and seeing them following him said to them, what do you seek? And that's an important question. What do you seek? So these two disciples, they, they decided to follow Jesus, but Jesus wanted to be sure that they were following him for the right reason. Jesus is asking, what kind of relationship do you want with me? And this is a question that Jesus is still asking everyone who would follow him today. And it's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. What do I seek from Jesus? What kind of relationship do I want with Jesus? The people seem to want a relationship with Jesus for many different reasons. Some people see Jesus as their fire insurance policy. They think that if they just believe the facts about Jesus, they have their get out of hell free card and they're all set for judgment day. Just show that card on judgment day and you pass right through. Others seem to see Jesus as their personal genie. And they'll follow Jesus as long as he serves their needs and fits their picture of who they think Jesus should be. But the two disciples who decided to follow Jesus in today's passage show us the only type of relationship that Jesus offers to any of us. Listen to their answer to Jesus' question, what do you seek? John goes on in one, uh, John one thirty eight to say, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means when translated, teacher. So these two disciples call Jesus Rabbi, which John says means teacher. And this is important because the word Rabbi also means my master. So what kind of relationship did these disciples want with Jesus? Well, they wanted a relationship with him as their master. Someone who would teach them how to live. Someone that they would follow, submit to, and obey as he taught them his commandments. Taught them how to live for God. And this is why these two disciples go on in John 1.38 to ask Jesus, where are you staying they want to know where their master is staying so that they can come and stay with him. It's like Jesus says later in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. This is the rabbi-disciple relationship, the master-servant relationship. Wherever the master goes, the servant must follow. So the servant stays with the master basically at all times. But there's more to this. 
Now, the Greek word behind the word staying is very significant in John's writings. It's often translated abiding, remaining, or residing. John uses this verb to express not only where Jesus was staying while he was on the earth, John also uses it to express the close and the continuous relationship between Jesus and his Father. As we see in John 14, 10, Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak for myself, but the Father residing in me does his works. So when Jesus talks about being in the Father and the Father being in him, he's talking about their relationship, the union between the Father and the Son. The Father resides in, he remains in, he stays in an unbroken, loving relationship with Jesus, and Jesus resides in, remains in, stays in an unbroken, loving relationship with his Father. And Jesus is so closely connected to his Father that Jesus says he doesn't even speak his own words or do his own works. Jesus speaks the words of the Father and does the works of the Father who resides in him. And what's incredible about all this, what's incredible about the gospel is Jesus invites all of us as his disciples to share in this relationship. In John 15, 9 through 10, Jesus says, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus remains in a loving relationship with the Father where he keeps the Father's commandments. And Jesus invites us to remain in a loving relationship with him by keeping his commandments, just as he kept the Father's commandments. This relationship is the reason that Jesus came to the earth. It's so that through Jesus, we could remain in a loving, lasting relationship with him and in his Father. And that's the kind of relationship Jesus offers to all of us, and that's what the disciples were seeking. So the disciples, they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus responds at the beginning of John 139, come and you will see. And this is an invitation, not only for those early disciples, But much more, it's an invitation for all who will decide to be his disciple. Jesus invites all of us to come and you'll see that I reside, that I remain in my Father's love. Come and follow me into this loving relationship with me and my Father. And in John 139, we see how these two disciples respond to Jesus' invitation to come and see where he's staying. So they came and saw where he was staying And they stayed with him that day. They came, they saw, they heard Jesus speak, and they stayed with Jesus. Now, John says they stayed that day, but as you read the rest of John's gospel, you see that they continued to stay with Jesus. Wherever Jesus was, they were. That's what a a disciple of Jesus does. They stay with Jesus, they love Jesus, they keep his commandments, they follow Jesus wherever he leads. And when we invite people to come and to see Jesus, this is what we want. Jesus' last command to his disciples in Matthew's gospel was to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded them. See, a disciple is a follower, a learner, someone who commits themselves to a relationship with Jesus as their master and who stays in this loving relationship by learning and obeying his commandments. 
So we want people to come. We want people to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and to stay with Jesus. And that's what John the baptizer told his disciples to do. Look, the Lamb of God, see, there's your master. Go and follow him and stay with him. And John the Apostle goes on to introduce to us a second person who invited people to come and see Jesus. In John 1.40, we read, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So Andrew was one of the two disciples that John the baptizer told to go and there's, there's the Lamb of God, the one that he heard Jesus speak about. Or Andrew was one of those disciples. And John's testimony about Jesus caused Andrew to seek out and to follow Jesus as his master. And Andrew was so excited about what he found in Jesus that he could not contain himself. He had to tell others. As John says in, when jo- in John 41, in, yeah, John 1, 41 through 42. He said, this one first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So the first thing that Andrew does after he decides to follow Jesus is to search out his brother Simon. And when Simon, when he finds Simon, Andrew speaks to him about Jesus, just like John the baptizer had spoken to Andrew about Jesus. Andrew tells Simon, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. But Andrew doesn't just tell Simon about Jesus. No, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. So Simon heard someone speak about Jesus and invite him to come and see Jesus. And when we read the rest of the story, we find out Well, Simon came, Simon saw Jesus, Simon heard Jesus, and Simon stayed with Jesus. And Jesus gave Simon the name Kephas, or Peter, which means rock, because Jesus would use Peter as a rock on which Jesus would build his church. And this all started because Andrew was excited about following Jesus. So he went looking for Peter and invited him to come and see Jesus and follow Jesus. And John goes on in his gospel to show us that Jesus' disciples were not the only ones who went seeking people to follow Jesus. In John 1.43, John says, On the next day, Jesus wanted to depart for Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. So Jesus went looking for Philip. Jesus found Philip, and Jesus invited Philip to follow him. And Philip obeyed Jesus. Philip came, Philip saw, Philip heard Jesus, and Philip stayed with Jesus. Jesus became Philip's master, and then Philip became like his master. In John 144, or sorry, 145, we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets wrote about, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. So once Jesus became Philip's master, well, Philip followed his master's lead and went seeking others. He couldn't wait to tell others about what he found in Jesus. And the first person Philip found was Nathaniel. And Philip eagerly exclaimed to Nathaniel, we found the one. We found the Messiah. He's here. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from the town of Nazareth. But Nathaniel's answer to Philip's excited exclamation was probably not what Philip was expecting. In John 1:46, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What Philip says, or sorry, when Philip says that Jesus is from Nazareth, Nathaniel's like, come on, Philip. You got to be kidding, right? You're telling me that the Messiah, the king of Israel, is from that horrible place 
Nazareth. Now, in other words, Nathaniel was skeptical about Philip's claims about Jesus. Now, have any of us ever encountered someone who is skeptical about what Christians claim about Jesus? Anybody ever encountered anybody like that? You know, I've met more than a few people like that, and I've wasted more than a few hours trying to convince these skeptics that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I've wasted a lot of time trying to convince people with scriptural arguments and historical evidence and my own personal testimony that in Jesus I found my God and my king, someone who can change people's lives. But notice that Philip does not try to convince Nathaniel by citing the scriptures. He does not give him a bunch of reasons why the Messiah could come from Nazareth. Let me show it to you here. He didn't do any of that. Instead, at the end of John 146, Philip simply says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I see you're skeptical, so why don't you just come and see? So we can learn a valuable lesson from Philip. Now, we should always be ready to give a defense of the faith, especially to those who are seeking the truth. But there's a definite difference between a seeker and a skeptic. You know, sometimes truth seekers have legitimate questions, questions that we should try to answer or find someone else who can answer those questions. We should give seekers the scriptural arguments, the historical evidence for Christianity's claims about Jesus, and we should give seekers our personal testimony about how Jesus has changed our lives. But with skeptics, we need a different approach. It's best to do what Philip did. We should invite skeptics to come and see Jesus. And as we see with Nathaniel, when skeptics come and see Jesus, when skeptics come to where Jesus is, well, Jesus has a way of breaking down their barriers. Jesus has a way of turning skeptics into his servants. As we read in John 147 through 48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, look, a true Israelite in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, from where do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So when Nathanael came to see Jesus, Jesus showed Nathanael that Jesus knew him. Jesus knew things about Nathanael that only God could know. And Jesus mentions the fig tree here because it's likely that Nathanael was praying under a fig tree when Philip went to find him. So Jesus is saying, Nathanael, before Philip called you, I saw you when you were praying in private under the fig tree. I saw what was in your heart. I know what you were praying, and I know what's in your heart right now. You're a man in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel's mind is so overwhelmed by the piercing and perceptive words of Jesus that in John 1.49, Nathaniel echoes the words of Andrew when Nathaniel says, Rabbi. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what is Nathaniel saying now? Rabbi, my teacher, my master, you must be the son of God. You must be the king of Israel. See, Nathaniel went from a skeptic to a servant in a matter of about 10 seconds because of what Jesus said to him. He went from a basher to a believer, from a doubter to a disciple. Why? Because somebody invited Nathaniel to come to where Jesus was. And Jesus spoke to Nathanael like no one else could. Jesus showed Nathanael, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, just like Philip had told him. And Jesus still speaks to people today in a similar way. If we get, to, if we get people to where Jesus is, to where his word is being taught, 
Well, Jesus has a way of letting people know that he knows us. He knows things about us only God could know. As we saw last week in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and able to judge the reflections and thoughts of the heart. But through the scriptures, Jesus has a way of showing us he knows what's in our heart. He knows all about where we've been. Where we've been. He knows about, all about where we are right now. You know, people often come to me after service and say that my sermon was speaking directly to them as if I wrote the sermon just for that person. But I don't write sermons for people. I just teach God's word. And because I do that, what people think is me speaking to them is not me at all. It's the voice of Jesus. And when people are exposed to the voice of Jesus through his word, Jesus lets people know that he knows them. So we need to learn a lesson from Philip. Let's learn to invite people, all people, even the skeptics, to come and see Jesus. And let's learn to let Jesus work on revealing himself to those we invite to come and see him. Now, as we close, as so often happens in the church world, I think we've overcomplicated bringing people to Jesus. And we act as if people need to have a doctoral degree in apologetics or take some soul-winning seminar or need to be taught some special style of witnessing to bring people to Jesus. But today's passage shows us how simple it really is to bring people to Jesus. And this is something that all of us can start doing right now. None of us need any training. We don't need it. Every person that we read about in today's passage became followers of Jesus because people got excited about following Jesus and could not wait to invite others to come and see Jesus, to come and hear Jesus, to come and experience the treasure that they'd found in Jesus. John the baptizer invited his disciples who became followers of Jesus. One of those disciples was Philip, who then invited Andrew, who became a follower of Jesus. Andrew invited Peter, who became a follower of Jesus. Jesus invited Philip, who then invited Nathaniel, and Nathaniel became a follower of Jesus. And we all can do the same thing. But you might ask, how can we do what they did? Jesus was physically present with them. Where can people go today to see Jesus? Well, the answer is, they can come right here into this church and see Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. We're his mouth. And when people come to the church, they see Jesus in the faithful members of his body. And where the body of Christ is, where the church is, where God's faithful people are, it's there that people find Jesus. In the church, people can come and see Jesus. Jesus is here. He's in this church. When we gather, Jesus is with us. When we speak his words, Jesus is with us. When we do his works, Jesus is with us. So this is how we can all do what John the baptizer and Andrew and Philip and so many others have done. We can invite people to come and see Jesus by inviting them to church. We can all learn to ask this simple question. Will you come and see Jesus with me? Will you come to see the Messiah, the son of the living God? Now, can we all do that? We can all do that, right? Of course we can. A much tougher question is, will we do that? Will we seek out people and invite them to come to church with us and see Jesus? Now, maybe you think Jesus isn't here. And if you think that, I have to ask you a question. 
Why do you come here if Jesus is not here? Right? Why bother? But if Jesus is here, then you got the only hope for humanity, right? All you have to do is invite people to come and see and let Jesus show himself to the people that come here. See, it may be through that simple question, will you come with me to see Jesus? Through that simple invitation, it may be that the person we invite becomes a follower of Jesus and becomes a person like one of the apostles. You get what I'm saying to you? Somebody who's shook up the entire world. We don't know what God has in store for people, but we'll never know unless we invite them. We invite them. That's how Andrew, Philip, Peter, and Nathaniel, and many, many others became followers of Jesus. Someone was excited about following Jesus and went to tell others, we found God's son, we found our king, come and see. And all of us can and should go and do likewise. So let's all go and invite people to come and see Jesus. But first, let's all stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, you made it so simple for us to bring people to you. All we got to do is invite them to come and to see you in your church. Or help us to live every day with an excitement about following you that drives us to seek others who will follow you also. And give us divine appointments with those who will accept that invitation. In your name we pray. Amen.
sin-filled 